and the Iraqi police, you know, they're supposed to be on our side. And when you see them shoulder their weapon and start sending rounds in your direction, you're kind of faced with a dilemma. Like, what do you do? You know, they're supposed to be on the same team. And so it was on. And um, the machine gunners, they did the best they could in an impossible situation. You know, what's crazy about it is I was going to get on every machine gunner's case about how they didn't shoot enough you know, about how they didn't fire enough because they were being very selective. And that's why I was so shocked that this was even a big ordeal because there was one point when we were like leaving the circle, the vehicle that I was in, it got shot up so bad, rounds skipped off the ground and hit the axle and went up through the radiator. And so the coolant is leaking out within two minutes of us being at this stationary position and the medic that's in the vehicle in front of us, he calls out, he's like, Hey, y'all are leaking fluid. And we're like, Roger that. And then the vehicle cuts off. So we're dead in the water. It won't crane. Battle line podcast. You guys are not going to want to miss this. This is a action packed interview with Nick Slatton, Army Airborne veteran, but most importantly, he was there at the Neisser Square incident as a Blackwater contractor, uh, given life in prison and then pardoned by President Trump in December of 2020, along with other guys. And we get into all of that. Um, before we get into this, though, you know what I wanted to say? I mentioned last week that I was at the team house party and I didn't get a chance to say this, though. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name. And this the, the reason I mentioned this, we're about to talk Bob's Naturals a little bit. But I ran into a guy there who I apparently met a while back and who was actually at the um, at one of the old books, you know, early book signings for the Red Circle of Brandon Webb. And when he was doing those early book signings, someone who was there, none other than Glenn Bob Doherty. And he spoke about that, you know, he knew him from the book, from reading the Red Circle. And he said everything. This is what he said to me. He said everything that's ever said about Glenn Doherty, that he made you feel like you know, you were his best friend, like you knew the guy for years. He's like, that's how I felt getting to know him. So I wanted to mention that before we even talk Bubs, the namesake of Bubs Naturals, because I think Sean would appreciate hearing that. That's still to this day, guys who just met him at a book signing for five minutes rave about the man. Yeah, just he was a good dude. I mean, I, and I wasn't one of his best friends or anything. We we worked at we did one deployment together in Tripoli and it just was a great guy. And that's all I got the feeling. You can usually tell when a dude comes in with a with with an ego and comes in with the insecurities and is thinks he's cooler than what he is. And a guy that actually knows his shit and is just laid back. And but you want him there by your side. That that was Bub. And yeah, I, the, the, how I knew he was a good dude. He was the only guy in Tripoli on that GRS team that would sit and watch black dynamite with me and laugh. I was the only, I was like, nobody, no, everybody hated that movie. And he was the only one that would come and we'd laugh together. And so I, that, I haven't that's watched 13 hours in a while, but that's in the movie, right? No, no, we were watching Tropic Thunder. That's something we, me and Boone, I just turn it, would turn it on all the time. But isn't that a scene in the movie? You guys watching the movie? Watching right? Tropic Thunder? No, no, oh, that's sir. that's me and Boone when we're in. Okay. I, no, I'm, truthfully, was, I haven't seen yeah. 13 hours in years. Uh, no, so no, no, I, no. I mean, yeah, I'm, this, I'm racking was, my brain here. But this the was point before, being, this was before we were all the way in Tripoli. I worked. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. the point being, Glenn Bob Doherty is the namesake of Bob's Naturals, and yes. they give 10% back of all profits to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. So, you know, keep his his legacy alive, his memory alive. 
and also check out the most kick-ass products out yeah. there for supplementation, collagen protein, apple cider vinegar gummies, MCT oil powder. All of these are great for digestive health, for uh, post-workout -pro post protein. You can learn more when you go to bubsnaturals.com and use the promo code BATTLELINE. You'll get 20% off. That's bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. And uh, these are supplements that we both stand behind. Also, this uh, show is sponsored by someone you haven't heard from in a while, but we're excited to work with again. Great friends of the show, Pamax Tactical. Pamax Tactical is a law enforcement owned and operated company based in Florida that proudly manufactures 100% USA made products. Pamax Tactical has several unique products, including their Lion Blank Fire Device, used as a safer and reusable cost-effective alternative for breaching and training for both civilian and law enforcement applications. The device uses several types of blank cartridges and is used extensively in training environments, including canine training, and as a way to induce stress on the range. And you've used these on the range. Oh, and they're fantastic. And obviously, people are starting to figure out <clears throat> that this is more cost-effective than the normal flashbangs you use. They're more effective. And you can use different calibers. So you can... You can intensify the stress levels, which you can't do with a standard flashbang that you, you we used to use in training or arty simulators that we used to use. So they check them out. The, the the company's doing extremely well because they have a tremendous product and they they do. They put the they put their hearts and minds into it, but they also put the science into it to make it better than what we used to have in the past. So check those guys out. If you are in law enforcement and you need a training device. Uh, use it, get rid of your already simulators, get rid of your old flashbangs and start using the Paymax tactical, start using that. And you'll see that it's a world difference. And you know, who doesn't like saving money? It's going to save your department money. Absolutely. So in addition to their lion device, Pamax tactical has produced several products, including their Hades hybrid muzzle devices line, RIP AR ambidextrous charging handles, X slick coated bolt carrier groups, pin and weld uppers and many more. And wow. stuff that I had to tell Max and we just can't talk about on YouTube. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Are things that go pew pew that we will get kicked <laughs> off of YouTube for talking about. But you can check it all out at their website. All Pamax Tactical product is 100% USA made and backed with a lifetime warranty. You can find out more about the product they offer by visiting their website at pmtactical.com. Use the coupon code TANTO and spell it right, T-A-N-T-O, at checkout for 15% off your order, pmtactical.com, coupon code TANTO, T-A-N-T-O. Let's get right into Nick Slatton. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm gonna shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast.
The Switch is on Battleline Podcast. We have a very special guest, Nick Slatton, yeah. Army Airborne yeah. veteran, Blackwater contractor, pardoned by President Trump, as any of you guys watching this know, in December of 2020, part of the Neisser Square incident from 2007, which Nick was originally sentenced to life in prison for. And if it wasn't for that pardon, we wouldn't be speaking with you today. Um, you know, I told Nick before we even recorded, before we even did the interview, like, yeah, I, I want to ask some hard questions because I know there's going to be people watching this and they have preconceived notions of what went down and they want to hear your story. And actually, before you even get into your story, I remember Chris was asking me this and I wasn't even sure. Is this like the first long form interview you've had the opportunity to do since being pardoned? Uh, no, sir. I was on the Sean Ron show. But oh no! Okay. Shot, well, that's, that's huge, then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and cut out with that sir bullshit. Come on, man. Yeah, you know calling me sir. Yeah, exactly. You know that. <laughs> I mean, I know I was a little bit older than you back in the day, but now you're making me feel like ancient. So knock that crap off. Yeah, <laughs> that that stuff's that stuff. Sean may make you say that, which that's kind of a douchebag thing to do. And I hope Sean's lit. No, Sean's a good dude, but we don't do that here. So there ain't no sir unless you really feel like you can't hold it back. But I, bro, I know where you're from, and I know that's the proper way, and you were raised the right way. But you know, here it's it's friends here, man. The, the, Ian may ask some hard questions, but they're not that hard. Come on, man. <laughs> we're you're, we're gonna we're gonna treat you right, and we we want to hear the story. I want to hear the story, even though I've heard it from a few, and I've I've heard it from some of the guys that that responded, and I'm still friends with, uh, and then some of the guys on your team, unofficially. But you know, here I this is this is for you. This is for you to say, hey, this is this is what happened. Cause in my opinion, in having to deal with the government myself, <laughs> I think you guys got a raw deal. And of course, and I wish I tried, but I tried to find my shirt too. I could not find my Raven 23 for release for sure. I I somewhere. So sorry I'm not wearing that today. But um, but yeah, I, so here just relax, talk, and let's tell the world what you want people to hear and from your perspective since we have this hour or so to to get it in there because because i i believe you, yeah i believe you weren't given the given the benefit of the doubt um and yeah. and and but let's let's we'll get and, into that let's get yeah, into i was that. gonna say if it's okay i i think because we'll get into it but i think what would be good to start off with is you know you going into the military i know you have a long yeah. family history of military service so yeah, let's start from there. Prior to Blackwater, prior to Neisser Square, yeah. all of that, where where did it all begin for you? Well, I just want to say, first off, uh, God is good. Yeah. And if you put Jesus, anything's possible. Like, I want to start it off with that, you know, on a good note. Of uh, course, of course, man. I mean, look at the shirt. Look at the shirt. Crucifix can't see it, but you got to keep your faith even through the hard times. But yeah, please, preach yes. on, man. Preach on, my brother. Well, I started off... Um, uh, joined the infantry and ended up at the 82nd Airborne in a line infantry unit and was deployed to the Sunni Triangle. And so we were basically involved in the roundup of all of Saddam's henchmen, you know, that were a part of the Ba'ath Party. And so we just did a lot of raids and captured key personnel, specific people who was handed uh, down to us from the intel community. Yeah. And yeah, it was like it was like a nineteen year old's dream infantry deployment. <laughs> what what years was that? Was that oh five? And then you came in Blackwater oh after that, right? Oh three to oh four. Oh, three. Was, yes, gotcha. Sir. Got got yeah. you. Sorry, sir. Again, 
son of a bitch, man. I tell you what, you can't, you can't take the discipline out of a disciplined individual. Can you, you just can't do it. But so, so you went, you know, airborne school, you went to a, but you went to the line unit, but you're still part of the parachute infantry regiment there at 82nd, right? You know, and that's, and living there in Vietnam and, did you, how many years did you do like a four-year tour and that, that was, or had you extended out? Did you start in the nineties and gone on eight-year tour? Four years. Four years. How was that? You know, and 82nd, aside from the, the strip clubs and stuff that they used to have at Vietnam, you know, aside from all that fun stuff, how was that? And, and, you know, were you, you the deployments you enjoyed, but, but being there at 82nd and, and it can be a rough place just because it's so big and you, you, you get some great people over there, but you get some dirt back, just like you do any unit. Even we had, a, we had those at Ranger Battalion too. We had outstanding guys, but you, you get a dirt bag like me every once in a while there. So, but how was that getting through there? And, and did you want to extend or was it like, Oh man, the contracting world's coming. Cause at that time when you're leaving contracting world, I mean, I, I got in in the early, early and it was paying good money. It was exploding. I mean, there was fun stuff going on or, or did you, did you, was it just something that you're like a, an injury or something that you had to, I got to go contract now because I can't stay in the military. Was that your decision? Like, man, I'm seeing it. I'm going to be a PMC and you moved out smartly that way. Well, if you would ask me, you know, gearing up for my first tour, if I wanted to reenlist, I would have reenlisted for 20 years because all we did was, you know, grenade range, CQB, yeah. Yeah. Um, shooting, you know, barrels out of guns all day long. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, the Army, you know, this is what I signed up to do. And then when you get back from war, they want to give you medals and stuff. And I was like, nah, this ain't for me kind of thing. And then we got a second deployment up to the Kurdish region. Sure. They thought the Iranians were going to do some um, insurgent activity up there. And of course, when we showed up, they backed off. And so it was basically just a peacekeeping mission. So I was looking to go SF and my platoon sergeant was talking to me about that. You know, I was going to put in my SF packet and another previous platoon sergeant who I highly regarded, he said, forget all that what's your end goal? And I told him, you know, I want to work for the agency as a sniper. And he said, well, you need to go to be a contractor. Yeah. I didn't even know what a contractor was. And uh, so I got picked up by Triple Canopy first and then they lost their contract. Yeah. And so Black, uh called me shortly thereafter and I went through their vetting process and uh, it was the best training I'd ever had, you know, as far as, you have high-level SEALs, high-level um, team guys. You have high-level Green Berets that are the instructors. So it's like, you know, and I am I was probably 22 at the time. So I was I was just in heaven, you know, because it was like being, like being in the military without any of the dumb stuff. You know, it was just like. Yeah, <laughs> without any of the stupid rule stupid rules that uh, just really actually slow things down the red tape and she, you probably went there when i was running the private training center out for the grs guys i bet we crossed path. i even saw you and you're probably hanging with you had, that's when andy and and pat and those guys were all running the uh the the high threat was it called high threat protection training at that time or had it gone to the what was it what was the other moniker it was called when it was state to it went from state threats department of state high threat protection to whips whips was it was a whips contract that that's what it was and um well you know 
doing that and did you get any more deployments as far as outside of Kurdistan? When you're in Kurdistan, you're going to Kirkuk or Mosul. Is that where you're stepping off from or you're stepping off from Suleimani or, or Beal? And and it can get kind of boring in Kurdistan because it is relatively safe. The Kurds kind of had their shit together a little bit, but we were way out there, man. We were up by the mountains of the Iranian border. So you're all the way past Suleimani. You're way up in, yeah, right on. Wow. There was a intel that came down that, you know, Iranian forces were going to take over that area because they were weak. You know, they didn't have a very big militia there. So okay. basically, we forced their militia and nothing happened. It was just, it was basically like, uh, I don't know, like free ranger or something, you know. You're, like, so you're just up there. I, I do remember us having to overwatch the, the, when I was with GRS and we worked in Suli, having to overwatch that area up and i don't remember what it's called but what was the base up there so you're just doing pt pt and sucking up there being miserable for six months or were you up there for a year how long was that uh it was about a five month deployment but basically okay. all was um basically vso operations because those people are friendly to us and so you know we're conducting like what we think are combat operations and we go up in these villages and i'm leading point and a woman comes out, you know, and she's got a tea kettle and she sets it on the fire. And I'm like, where are we at? You know, like the very first time on my first tour in the Sunni Triangle that we went out, oh, yeah. I was in, we went right. Bravo company went left. Bravo company got blown up. So it was just like night and day difference, you know. No, I, I, as... you know, I do the Kurds, the Kurds and the Peshmerga really did it. If we could, if we gave them armor and, and an air force, they would have wiped out all the bad guys for us, man. We just won't give it to them because of Turkey and because right. of Iran. But yeah, the Pesh and the Kurds, it, it is different. I remember because I worked up there as well. I worked in all that, all the way from the other side, the Syrian side to, to, uh, to the Iranian side in the main city. And it was, it was, it was permissive. I mean, there was CI stuff going on, but I could go get pizza, go down to Erbil and go drive go-karts and get pizza if I wanted two outside of Ankawa and then go back in for the hit. So it was completely different. And I bet for a, a fire breed like yourself, you know, being 22, 23 at the time, yeah, it was probably just boring as shit. And you're just like, I'm done with this. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a morale killer, but now looking back, I'm glad because I would have thought all Iraqis hate Americans had I not had that tour. So yeah, looking, it was beneficial for me that I, I could tell that there were some that actually wanted us there so that it was good. And yeah. So yep. getting into, you know, the Blackwater stuff, as you said, you didn't know much about contracting prior. Blackwater wasn't this infamous company that all of us know now. I mean, I think everybody, when they hear the name Blackwater, they're going to have an opinion of it one way or another. Um, so what were your, fit, your first initial feelings about Blackwater getting uh, put in, you know, contracting with them? I was just impressed at the size of the facility yeah. and the quality of the leadership that was training us. And at first it was just vetting, you know, it was like, basically you show up, you have to qualify on all these weapon systems all the way, like Glock M4, 249, right, two, shotgun, AK-47, like uh, 203 grenade launcher. They had all kinds of weapon systems you had to qual on. And then once you passed all those vetting processes, and then they had some 
physical standards as well, you know, like bench press and running and um, stuff like that. After that, they trained you in PSD. You know, I was just a regular uh, infantry sniper, so I didn't know anything about personal security details. I had no, that was way outside my wheelhouse. So basically the rest of the course was dedicated to training you how to do that. So, And it, it did change a ton from when I went through in old, oh three or 2000 it was class one and it was a it was a be honest it was a cluster f it was there was seals and rangers and delta and sf guys fighting constantly because nobody wanted to listen to each other and you're right it did and when you went through a couple years it did streamline itself but i think a lot of it too is a lot of those guys there wasn't a lot of experience in the instructor cadre at that time guys had done one trip and that's when helveston got hung from fallujah from the bridge and yeah and then they come back and they think they can teach and by two by 2005 we'd done so many trips that we like okay now we get we're getting it we understand what we're trying to do and it, it did I, I thought I, I agree with you and and you're right the, the I agree with you, the training got better but you're right the facility also it went from when I was there to one where it just had that big quans that big tower in the middle where the armory was and the defect was to just a huge facility with the driving track and it was all self-contained. And I did like Eric. I said, Eric had his faults and he had some guys around him that were pieces of trash, but I think Eric really gave a crap about us. And and I, I don't know. I guess that's a question for you. Did you feel the same way? I thought, and you don't have to agree with me. I mean, Eric, I was around Eric a little bit protecting his family too. We got to know him pretty well, uh, just even in Tyson's, but some guys didn't like him, but I, I really did feel like even though with his little quirks, his, he, he did really care about us and he gave us what we needed and went above and beyond. But what was your feeling before Nisar Square? And what was your feeling after with how Eric took care of you or didn't take care of you? I think he took care of us uh, to the best of his ability. Like you said, I think that by the time I got, I was blessed, you know, by the time I got to the Blackwater like you said, it was organized. It was. We, we had um, optics on our weapons. I the My SR-25, I think it had five rounds logged through it. So I had a brand new SR-25. Wow. You know, yeah. a brand new M4, um, A1 with an ACOG with a 203 on the bottom of it. You know, so it was like we had the best uh, equipment that we could have for fighting in Baghdad. So. It was definitely, it, definitely it had was, a ball. It did. It, it was different from us going and trading weapons with Dine Corps because we didn't have enough guns and with iron sights. That's <laughs> like, who's he's coming in? Hey, Team Five's coming in. Well, get, hey, let me get over here. Get over here, LR. Let me get me. Let me get your M4, man. I don't have anything, but 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 it, it did. It, it, and you're right. It's, so, Ian, and I don't want to jump ahead too because I'm, no, I'm kind of biting, you think we should biting get to, at yeah. biting at just because of of, and I want to get as much as possible. But, when you when what trip were you on when the Nisor Square incident happened and when Raven twenty three what what took place I mean how was that your first contract trip was it your second had you been there and extended like a lot of us do a lot of us enjoyed it and we stayed we would extend through our leaves and get, and Eric paid us handsomely for that which it was the right thing to do but how many trips had you done or was that on that your first trip Nick when all that took place so. It was a progression. I don't know if you remember, but 2007 was the bloodiest year. Yeah. And, and that just so happened when I show up at the end of 2006. 
then January 23rd happens. That's where they shoot down one of our helicopters, mm-hmm. kill five of our guys. And I was on that Raven 2-3 TST team, and we went to recover our fallen comrades. You know, I, I, I remember Casey and I were Ranger Battalion buddies, and, and I was Ron Johnston was a buddy from the early days as well. And now I, I know I, yeah, war baby had been there forever as well. The, so no, I, I remember that. And, and, you know, talk about that. A lot of people forget about that. And that was, that was pretty brutal. Uh, Art Laguna, Dan's little brother getting shot down. You know, was, yeah, talk about actually, that. Ken. I actually went through whips with art, you know, how the pilots go through the yeah. first little part. Yeah. Yep. But, he was a great man. Um, it was, I think it was the week before at that same venue, a man came up to the principal and of course he stopped, you know, by the point man and he's trying to get to the principal. He's like, I really need to talk to her. And like, what do you need? And he's like, I really need to give her my business card. And he had his card out. So the guy just takes it. And he looks on the back of it and says, do not bring her back here. They want to cut her head off and film it. And so, you know, that got passed up the chain and she wanted to do another meeting the same time next week. And then January 23rd was the result of it. Um, We, they first received contact on venue and our task was to extract the principal team. They had her loaded up in their suburbans and they were leaving and we got ambushed and our tire got shot out. And so we fought our way through the ambush and we found an easily defensible position, executed tire change. And then by the time we had executed tire change, we get a new mission on the radio that a helicopter has been shot down. And the last grid they gave us um, was in the river. So, we're like this bird crashed in the river and yeah. I, think, I think it was Fottle, our Fottle neighborhood. And that's yep. a pretty rough, pretty rough place, you know? So, um, it's all cul-de-sac. So it's dead end roads. So you're just driving down these dead end roads, getting lit up, looking for this bird. And then you got to turn around and drive right drive back, right through, back the... through. So it was about five ambushes that we fought through. You know, some guys will tell you it was 12 ambushes, but I remember five. So we were shot all the pieces by the time we got there. And, you know, if it hadn't been for the Army, we, were, we would all got killed because there was an estimated force of uh, close to a thousand on the ground is what they said. And the Apache helicopter saved our lives. You know, like I remember there was one point in the gunfight. We fought for three and a half hours to recover the bodies. and there was one point in the gunfight I was on the 240 and there was a round that cracks off. It hits in the middle of the street and then a round cracks off and it hits my vehicle. And I'm like, he's 800 yards away in this building. I think he's on the third floor, right? So I'm just laying down on the third floor and I'm praying to God when that second round hits, I'm like, God help me. And I don't know if I said it out loud or if I just said it in my heart, but when I got help me out, there was like a hellfire missile went overhead and then another one went overhead and it hit two of the floors of that building and just kind of pancaked the floor Mm -hmm. in the middle. And, uh, 
we never got uh, shot at by that sniper ever again. So that guy saved my life, whoever that uh, gunner was. Heard, so I want to thank him if he's watching this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I hope he is. I and that's angels from above, or if you want to call them devils from above, I don't care what you want to say. They're angels from hell, or but their air support, man. I'll tell you what, air support is is it will always save your ass when you don't get air support. I can tell you from experience it's, 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 that's can almost destroy your morale as well. Uh, but man, seeing that, and then you had some Bradley's come on station. I think Gooch was on your team at the end. He was a, he was a buddy of mine. And he, he, I remember when he came back, he told me what had happened. And I said, Casey Cassavant, him and I were tab spec force at second Ranger battalion. So uh, Casey was a solid, solid dude. So, so I, but, but a lot of people forget about that. And then a lot of people forget that, that, you know, you guys did, you guys went into hellfire to get everybody out and, and you did, you got everybody out, but a typical state department, there's a threat. Well, we're going to go back anyway. Yeah. Fucking that's what happens, man. That's state department for you. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode with Nick Slatton. We have plenty more to go, much more to talk about with Nick. Quite honestly, he answers some hard questions. We probably agree on some of the, some of the things he's proposing, disagree on others, but it was a great interview and, and I appreciate him being candid with us. Before we go any further, Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. They've been with us yep. for every single show, yeah. so you guys got to go out there and support them. Uh, FSM.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off. That is exclusive to our show. One word, BATTLELINE, FSM.com. You'll get 15% off your order. All different types of ammo. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the battle line podcast and also we just spoke about the best ammo out there we got to talk about the best night vision night this vision, is an, an investment that you guys have to make i am excited to see these guys at shot show we're going to be doing an episode live from shot show uh with the staff there with sean kirk with phil otto with dale sizemore i'm excited for it now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to become masters of darkness. The new Viper binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operation, operating conditions. Visit photonistdefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S defense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. With that, let's get right back to our interview with Blackwater contractor, Nick Slatton. 
Well, so just, could you, yeah, could you get into the actual, you know, ambush that happened? Because here's the thing, you know, when people saw what happened, to you guys, the public opinion against you guys was, this is terrible, you know, and, and we saw the pictures of the innocent civilians killed and, and the narrative is basically, these are contractors heavily armed and these are just innocent civilians. How did this go down? Why did all these people die? You know, and, and that's the question I think that was on everyone's mind when you guys were sentenced. Oh, so you're fast forward. Um, well, okay, yeah, what, let's get, I, what, I think we should, what, if we can get into it for sure. At least, yeah. but you can start right at the, Hey, what happened? What you woke up Hey, get, do the, do the, do the King Arthur legends of the sword. What happened? I want to know from the start when you woke yeah, up, yeah, what, let's, what took let's place? Let's get into man. all of it. So, you know, January 23rd was a major event, you know, yeah. biggest gun battle I'd ever been in. Like I said, there was a thousand enemy combatants on the ground. The Apaches killed most of them, obviously. I think they stacked up like 536 bodies was the last count. Wow. And so fast forward from that day, and we're just in an onslaught of 2007. Is Ask anybody that was in Baghdad in 2007. Um, it was literally hell on earth. So we're we're fighting. Um, in February, there was a Central Rail Station incident. And then in May, there was uh, uh, another incident. And then also, also, there was two more before the September 16th, the one that we ended up getting in trouble that were significant incidents. So we had a lot of uh, gun battles going on that were not just dude shot at you a few times like you know their tactics were evolving and they were getting more and more sophisticated and so september 16th is the one you're talking about where we got in trouble and that was basically um we were off work so we had a day where we were primary we had a day where we were secondary and then we had a day where we were training or we were off and then if they needed a taxi ride to the uh, down uh, route Irish to buy, we would take them to the airport. But uh, we were on a, one of the training days. We had the day off. We were in the chow hall and we were eating and there was an explosion. And it was any station this net. We need all support personnel at this grid. And they were calling for help. And, and they, they said, and they, Nick, they being that was the team on site, right? That was the PSD team that was was given that call, or was that was the talk that was given you guys that call? That's right. I believe it was the PSD team was okay. was, and it, and it was they said uh, vehicle born IED attack is what they said. So we're picturing in our minds these guys got hit, their motorcade got hit by a car bomb, right? So I'm expecting to go have to recover bodies again. And so we roll out uh, checkpoint 12 and we roll into Nisar Square. And as we're rolling in, they tell us to lock down the square, to send traffic through on one side and to stop traffic on the other so that they have a easy route back into the green zone. So we're sitting there and then all of a sudden the Iraqi cops start shooting and then it was game on after that. Um, it, it was basically like, I don't know if you've been through that circle a lot, but it, it yeah. is crowded, right? So it's trying to describe it. It's probably like getting in a gunfight 
in Super Walmart parking lot, you know, as far as cars and people. And you've got Iraqi police who are in mismatched uniforms shooting at us. And so it's just and there was such a large presence. You know, I don't know if it was just because of the V-bid that had just went off less than a mile away is why there was such a large presence of Iraqi police. But they were just like not at guard booths, not in bunkers. They were just like randomly throughout the crowd. And uh, as soon as one started shooting, you know how it is over there. Um, and and they, for those who don't know, I mean, what was the reason they started shooting at you guys? Honestly, I think they panicked. Um, we did an AAR about it, and there was this huge water truck. One side of the circle was under construction because a car bomb had went off in April, and so the tunnel was closed, so it used to you could drive under it. So now you've only got like two points that you can enter this traffic circle, right? So they had this big city bus and then they had a water tanker on the other side of the street. So our after actions report was they wanted to kidnap that PSD team because they always see suburbans mm. rolling, rolling in and out. They wanted to block off the street with the water truck and then they wanted to block off this side of the street with the city bus. And then those guys would have just been trapped in there. And then all they got to do is set their vehicles on. And then they got a choice, you know, get out of the vehicle or, or burn alive. Right. So. Yeah. You know, we got some, there was words and there was scuttlebutt going on that the, the, the primary tactical support team, the TST team had responded and your team was supposed to sit and your team leader disobeyed orders and took off anyway. Was there any truth to that? That's, and that was from the reports that came out. I've never talked to anybody there that said that and and every actually everybody that i've talked to that has been there and it's you're you're one of them there's been quite a few um that i've been friends with for for quite a while and they're like well no no we we nobody told us to sit we but nobody told us to go either and hey believe me bro i get that <laughs> i've been i've been told to sit and we we disobey orders and go but were you guys told hey don't go talks calling you saying hey you can't go sit here stay here and you guys took off or you're like hey we need to go now because it's all hands on deck and, and hey and broke it it's fucking like we were soldiers broken arrow broken arrow and i've been through that before too where everybody goes so what was it like at the beginning when you're just getting jocked up and your tl is putting out information were you getting enough information were you kind of not getting enough information you're like let's just get on site and see what the hell's going on or was it just everybody panic and we're taking off, which that's not a good thing. You don't want to do that either. So what, what, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think mainly it was the shift lead had tactical command. Yeah, sure. We get in the vehicles. The talk doesn't have any say. If your guys are calling, you know, if your guys are calling for help and you go immediately, what are the odds of their survival? Well, they're a hell of a lot higher. That's why we yeah. lost the ambassador and, 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 uh, and we lost, uh, and we lost, you know, we lost Sean's cause we didn't, we weren't able to get over there quick enough. And and you're right. The shift leader does have tactical control. Was there, but I guess when I say the talk an RSO, the state department security officer, was anybody like that telling, telling you guys that, Hey, no, you're sitting here and waiting until we figure out what's going on, which is normal. That's normal for government shit. Is it right? No, it's not right. But that's, that's government, especially when you get with blue badgers. 
we had a shift lead at the time who was a warrior and he had went whenever any team called for help. And, you know, our awards in BW was, you know, we still got to cover teams after we uh, killed, get the principal team back to the green zone safe. We still got to go back out and cover teams. Right. So we're working all day. Whereas that PSD team, they're off work. And so our awards, they'd be cooking a steak and they'd have beer on ice, you know, when we came in. So it was like, it was just like, if my buddy is out there calling me on the radio saying, send everyone and I've got the ability to go. Oh, you're going, going. you're going. I, I get it. We, I did too. I, I, I completely get it. Go ahead. That's what anything. I think they, I think the prosecution and the government tried to use the fact that there might've been some discrepancy on whether or not um, he went without permission, but you know, anytime you get in that vehicle and you're the shift lead, you're in control of the team. So I never doubted any calls any of my shift leaders made. You know, I was a DDM. I was a machine gunner. Uh, I did pretty much every job you can do, window liquor, all that kind of stuff in that tactical support team, except for driver. They always wanted to know where I could shoot. But, I mean, I never doubted any of them. If they said, we're going – to fight you know so our boys can get off venue like roger that let's go fight well i guess and that was my next question was did the prosecution utilize that to try to say that hey they disobeyed orders we're gonna because it it happened to us with the fbi and it just i I get it and and that's why i i just want to make sure it's clear because i know people out there want to hear it from you and i get where you're coming from i i get the feeling i've been but I've been there. I get it. I, I've been a shift leader for Team Four. I've been a detail leader that rode with the with the with Big Army when I was when Ambassador Zalmay Khalilzad was there. I was a detail. I get it, man. And you go, but and I think you that prosecution using that as a tactic to try to get you guys let just put it simply get you guys in trouble is a bunch of horse shit. But I did. I that's why I wanted to ask you. I wanted to say, did they do that? And and if there was a person that talked that did give that call to not go and you guys went, were you wrong? No, fuck. Sorry, YouTube. Sorry about that. YouTube can't cuss. No, no you, you, you can. Just not excessively. <laughs> you know, I'm just, that. well, that's, that's you're asking a ranger yeah. not to cuss that excessively. But um, no, but yeah, you know, f that. And I'm going. And and what you said is honestly the answer I expected you to say. And that's a that's a good thing. That's definitely a good thing. So you take off. And you guys are going there. You, you know, we leave no man behind. And that's the one thing with Blackwater. We've never left anybody behind ever. That's never happened. You get there, you get on site. And now when you got on site, did you immediately get in an altercation or did you get things blocked down? You, you set up your, your control points and then all of a sudden crap happened. And that PSD team, I think people also forget too. What happened to them? Were, were they not giving you guys calls like, "Hey, we're clear. Let's get th-. because that's what they're supposed to be doing. We're clear. We're out of the we're out of the kill zone. You guys can come back now." And it never sounded like they gave you the all clear, and that screws you guys up because now you're just sitting there in no man's land, waiting. Basically, you basically just put yourself in a kill zone, and you're waiting. You're just waiting to get hit. And that was the part of it. So what happened there with that team? Why didn't they give you the all clear or did they? And and it just got lost in the fog of war. We told them it was within 
most people that testified and the way I remember it was within 30 seconds of being stopped. Like we had come to a stop and then rounds start coming in and then more rounds and then it picks up and you're like, okay, we're in a real fight here. And then, so we advised the PSD team who another tactical support team had already picked them up and they were heading to us. We advised them, Hey, we're in a gunfight. Don't come this way. (laughs) They go a different route back to the green zone and they get ambushed on their different route back. So they had multiple ambushes set up because there's only so many ways to get back in the green zone, right? Yeah. Ambushes lined up. And that was something that the prosecution didn't like to talk about. Oh, yeah, by the way, they got hit by a different ambush on their way back in the PSD. And Ian, have you you ever heard that? that, I know that because that's what guys like yourself that were there have told me, but I have never seen that in the media. I've never seen that out there. I don't know, Ian, Ian, have you ever seen that, that there was that second ambush after these guys? Because that, that has never been put out there. If it has, it wasn't, I've never seen it. Truthfully, it wasn't on my radar enough to say, you know, at okay. the time. It really wasn't. But what I'm wondering is, as you guys are returning fire, do you see everyone, you know, do you see the faces of the people that you're shooting? Or is this just, hey, we have to return fire. We're getting hit from every angle. Well, that's the thing, you know, about being a DDM. Um, you've got to. 10 by optic on a very precise weapon so you know where all your rounds are going right um and the iraqi police you know they're supposed to be on our side and when you see them shoulder their weapon and start sending rounds in your direction you're kind of faced with a dilemma like what do you do you know they're supposed to be on the same team and so it was on and um the machine gunners they did the best they could in an impossible situation you know what's crazy about it is I was going to get on every machine gunner's case about how they didn't shoot enough, you know, about how they didn't fire enough because they were being very selective. And that's why I was so shocked that this was even a big ordeal because there was one point when we were like leaving the circle, the vehicle that I was in, it got shot up so bad rounds skipped off the ground and hit the axle and went up through the radiator. And so the coolant is leaking out within two minutes of us being at this stationary position. And the medic that's in the vehicle in front of us, he calls out, he's like, hey, y'all are leaking fluid. And we're like, roger that. And then the vehicle cuts off. So we're dead in the water. It won't crank. And so we had to like set up a wall of steel, basically where the follow vehicle comes up and blocks. And then the people that are in the vehicle in front gets out and hooks up a tow strap and tows us off the scene and as we're leaving the follow vehicle rear gunner he's chunking out every smoke grenade he has right to try to just conceal us because we're going like five miles an hour and rounds are kicking up all around him on the pavement and um, he's calls out on the radio he's got enough presence of mind he calls out on the radio and he's like we're taking fire and then somebody else gets on the radio and they're like, well, shoot back. And he goes, I can't shoot back. I can't yeah. see where can't see. Yeah. He didn't want to just hit people. You know, he wanted to hit people that were actually shooting at us. And you see it all the time in war. The people that lay down, they live, you know, they lay down and they're like, they let you know that they're not a threat. Right. 
um, the people that are running back and forth and like there's guys shooting this way and we're returning fire that way. What do you think is going to happen? You know, that's, that's war. So um, I really feel like that anybody that had a problem with what happened that day never had to fight for three and a half hours to recover their fallen comrades, you know? So it was like this big transition from January 23rd to this day. I'm like, this gunfight lasted five minutes. The gunfight I was in on January 23rd, that's hours. Like, yeah. You know, you, know you, it. you answered it a little bit at the end, but the obvious question people are going to have, which you said at the very beginning, when you said they were being very selective with who they returned fire towards, people are just going to ask them, why were so many civilians killed? Well, if you look at their body count, right? You look at their body count. We filed for information whether any of these alleged victims had any ties to terrorism and there were ties to terrorism but three of them were such high players that they took them off the body count list immediately mm. at first it was 17 they charged us they were wanting to charge us with then it dropped to 14 because three of them were like everybody knew they were terrorists the other three that were still on the list those guys were kind of like lower level players, but they were still bad guys and they knew they were. And so the, the only bullet or bullet fragment that came out of any body that matched any weapon system, it matched an AK 47. There was a guy running across the road and he got shot in the hip and he fell down and he tried to say that we did it. And so they took it out at the cash, you know, and, mm -hmm. Took, took them to the hospital, they cut it out, and they kept it. And when the FBI analyzed it, it was an AK-47 bullet. So they gave it back to the guy, and he lost it. That's what he said at trial. And, so and, that's, the, and that, that came out during the trial, right? That was, that was evidence at the trial. The only bullet they recovered out of anybody. <clears throat> you know, so I really feel like there was an army gun battle that happened about 30 minutes prior to ours south. And then, and then it's a war zone, right? You got all these bodies coming to the same hospital and the lead Iraqi investigator who got put in charge of it. He's got ties to jam. He's like a Iranian terrorist. So my jury can't know that the guy that conducted the investigation is a terrorist. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah. and then, man, you know, our State Department, I'll give them credit <clears> because, <throat> you know, it, they were tripping because it was on CNN, like, you know, 45 minutes, 30 minutes right. later, it was on the TV. They're tripping because, but I was like, you know, look on a map. And they looked on a map and we, you know, members of Raven 2-3 was like, this is where we're getting shot at from. You don't believe us? Go out there. They went out there the very next day, and you know what they found at those exact locations? They found expended shell casings. So they said it's a good shoot. They cleared us, you know, and that wasn't good enough in the political arena. And then the feds come in three weeks later. Yeah, it's and they, and they And they adopt a terrorist, an Iraqi colonel that's in charge of that circle. They adopt they adopt his investigation as the gospel truth. 
And if you look at all their statements, all the witness statements, they said every one of our vehicles open fire, every machine gun. And that's not true. Like you can ask anybody that was out there. And I think it's funny, you know, like they, they, the body count just kept going up because they ran ads on Iraqi television. If you were hurt or if you know somebody who was hurt or killed on this day in this circle, come to the green zone and we'll give you money. So it sounds like the marine water to contaminate water commercials. You see, it commercials does use, yeah, but how many, how many were said that were killed? How many were KIA on the Iraqi side? Can you, was it 17? Is that right? Is that what you said? 17 at first. And then they dropped it to 14. <clears throat> and I just want everybody to know out there in a gunfight in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Yemen, off the coast of Somalia, in a big gunfight. I hate to tell you this, people, when there's people everywhere running around, that number's not, I'm not trying to downplay human life. Believe me, I'm not. That's not, that's not a large number, especially when you got bad guys that are embedding themselves within the the, the populace and using them as cover and trying to shoot you. And I, you know, I, I, I know that might seem, and I don't give a shit if you think I'm a terrible person for saying that. I'm just being, I'm just being honest with you. It, it's not. If you guys had shot a hundred people, uh, did way too. Okay, you, you, uh, you, you bloodlust. You, you kept pulling the trigger, knocked that. You know, yeah, you're, you're in the fault. But fourteen people, and you're getting shot at, and it's in a crowded. And for those that have not been in East Shore Square, yeah, it's, it's a freaking quagmire. It, it is. It's just people everywhere. You, you shouldn't and and the prosecution i think did you wrong i i, I know they did you wrong at the very and i said it on the show before all right if you're going to do anything to you okay then let them go just fire them let them go to their jobs but they don't go to prison it's war you don't send people to prison for defending themselves in war but yeah if you want to show let's show some power okay fire them then they'll lose their clearances they go home well so let's get into that i know we got you we got unless ian's got some more and he wants to know we'll come back to the the firefight you you done did you go home and i can't remember i know it was i know my buddy told me but i, I just can't remember what, what he said did you stay there did they get you out a couple of days after were you there did you finish your contract and then you get home and what happens or well first of all what happens after then how long were you there before you went home what's going on while you're still in iraq and then you get home what happens i guess three different questions there so it was pretty quick for me uh I had always said that if um, the chain of command doesn't have my back anymore or my brother, I'm out. Like, I don't care what they're paying me. So, like, I felt like when the feds picked it up, um, they were basically inserting themselves. When the State Department investigation good enough before, and they cleared us on this shoot as well, now all of a sudden they're not good enough we need a whole outside investigative unit, you know, and the state department people weren't our friends, you know, they didn't like I know, us. Right? I know. I, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. I do know yeah. that. Not like, it's not like they were trying to help us out or hook us up or anything. So I yeah. was like, I was done. And, um, it was 2009, I think, um, when they started talking about, you know, prosecuting us and all of this but uh a judge who was actually i think he was a clinton appointed judge he was a very fair judge though he 
he wanted to see all the evidence, even the classified stuff, right? He wanted to see everything and it, he read it all. And uh, he said, with regards to me, he goes, he asked the prosecutor straight up. He goes, that's his job, is it not? And they said, yes. And so they had to dismiss it against me for lack of evidence. And so a couple of weeks later, you know, the judge is mad because there's all these Brady violations. He caught them, you know, with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, legally. And they were violating my brother's constitutional rights and doing all kinds of wild stuff that you're not allowed to do. And so he just dismissed it outright against all of us. And so that was a big international thing. And then um, you get the current president who was vice president, you know, he inherited it. And then he's like promising them that he's going to appeal our dismissal. He said, he said that a dismissal is not an acquittal. So I knew when I heard the vice president of the United States say that I was going to prison, basically, I knew I was hit. So it was just a matter of time, you know, before they finally took us to trial and uh, convicted us. And what's what's the feeling like when you hear life in prison? Um, me, um, I got to a point where I had already accepted the fact that I was going to go to prison because they weren't letting my jury hear all the truth. So I was, I was ready for it. And, you know, you want to talk about broken. They thought I was crazy. You know, they thought I was like Jason Bourne or something. So they put me in solitary confinement and um, I'm just calling out to God the entire time. And, you know, he just gives me a uh, peace that passes understanding while I'm in there. And he lets me know that um, I'm not going to do all this time. And that the reason why I'm locked up is because I wasn't following him when I was back from the war. I kind of did my own thing. I ran down a rabbit hole of like alcohol and prescription meds and just, you know, yeah. and was just really in a dark place. So going to prison actually saved my life, you know, so, um, and it restored my relationship with God and a lot of people that I came in contact with, that's what I would focus on. That's how you do a life sentence. You don't focus on your charge, you know, like, yeah, of course you study the law and you learn about your appeal and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't think about, that I was doing the rest of my life in prison. I thought about the guys that didn't know Jesus. And so I would talk to the guys that didn't know Jesus. And it's funny. One of the guys was a pagan and like a notorious guy, um, famous throughout the prison system. And he ended up getting saved. You know, he used to make fun of me cause I was a Christian, but we worked out together. <laughs> like me cause you know, we worked out together and, uh, he was just like, I can't, he's like, you're too smart to be a Christian or whatever. And, uh, finally I just told him, you know, I was like, pray and ask God to prove that he exists. And, uh, about a week later he comes up and, uh, he's like, I want to start reading the Bible. And when we got to the new Testament, he, uh, he got saved and I'm still in contact with him to this day. So I never would have met that man. You know, he was 19 when he got locked up and he was 47 when I met him. So yeah. Did did you did you hold on to any hope that a pardon was going to happen? Because I believe 
prior to you guys getting pardoned, right? There were quite a few military guys who got a pardon from Trump. I wanted some of them, and and we can get in. I you know I know Chris is limited time. Some of them I entirely disagree with, and I can get into that with you. Some of them I I think you know like our friend Gary Brugman that was a Border Patrol yeah. incident, but you know I totally believe should have gotten that pardon. Uh, Michael First Lieutenant Michael Behenna, uh definitely deserving of a pardon, but I, I believe a few of those were before you. So when Trump was in office, and especially when he was handing out pardons to other military guys, either wrongfully or rightfully accused of war crimes. Was it in the back of your mind that, like, I may, I might get out of here? No. So how that came about was it was after my third trial. I had been um, convicted and not sentenced yet, but I knew what my sentence would be. It would be life in prison. I was waiting on a sentencing date, and I was in this little jail in Virginia, and they had a riot. They had me in this gang unit, and they had a riot in this gang unit, and they set the microwaves on fire and they ran the cops out of the unit. And so my buddies are like, what are you going to do, Nick? I was like, I'm going to my bunk and sitting on my bunk. <laughs> I was like, I'm going in. And I get my Bible and I'm sitting on the cell in the cell. Cause I already know what time it is. I know what's about to happen. They broke the sprinklers, um, water's coming in. So I like roll up a blanket and put it under my door and the right team comes in and they, uh, hit us with uh, flashbangs and they hit us with uh, tear gas canisters and they drag out the people that are participating in the riot. And mm -hmm. so I'm stuck in there and they don't let us out for about uh, seven days. And they bring us trays that are in styrofoam and hand it to us through our bean slots. It's like a little slot in the door that they can open and just hand you stuff. And uh, they there's no food in the tray. So it's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner you might be lucky to get like this much food, like a tiny little, so they were starving us. And I'm in there and I'm reading the Bible. Every day I read Psalms 91 and in verse three, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And that's in the new international version that I have. And so I was like, that made me so mad that day. I was like, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. I was like, that is where I'm at. You know, when, <laughs> And I heard, just like I'm talking to y'all, I heard a voice and it wasn't like, you know, it was, it was just a normal voice. And it said, Slatten, pack your stuff. You got a presidential pardon. And I was like, I started laughing, you know, I was like, man, I'm going crazy. I ain't had enough to eat. So <laughs> days later, they let us make a phone call. And I called my sister and she's like, have you heard? I was like, heard what? And she goes, well, the New York Times reported that President Trump was considering pardoning soldiers accused of war crimes. And it mentioned you by name. It mentioned me and Gallagher and Golston together in the same article. So that was the very first mention of a pardon, you know. And I told her immediately, I was like, God told me I'm getting a pardon, you know. But was, so was I, any of that in the back of your head prior to that? Because obviously oh. the pardon happened because there were guys fighting on your behalf, which I know, you know, we have limited time, just like the same way you're fighting on behalf of Sergeant Calvin, Calvin Gibbs, which I know you want to get into before we, you know, end this. And we, and hey, we, we still got about 15. I'm good. Yeah, 15 yeah, more but minutes. Yeah. I just want to make sure that you at least because I know you said this was important to you. But but the point being, I mean, the pardon happened, you know, and I, I, I totally get the religious faith of it, but there were a ton of guys back home fighting for you guys and uh, i mean did were any of them contacting you saying like we're in we're in the president's ear this may happen 
Oh yeah, definitely. There was uh, everybody. I mean, it's a small community, you know, if, if I don't know you, um, somebody that I know knows you, you know, so it got into the president's ear, I think fairly, fairly quickly when he was that trend of pardoning, like you said, people that had made decisions in combat. And so it was just, um, yeah, I mean, I just knew it was going to happen. And there were so many people that just wrote me letters all the time. Like I got letters from everywhere in America you can think of. I got letters from England, New Zealand, Australia, France, like you name it. Like I was getting letters from different countries. So, and they were all like, we believe you're innocent. Like we believe that you did the best you could in a bad situation, you know? So it was just very encouraging. And, and uh, yeah, president Trump's awesome. You know, he, he had courage to do what no one else would have done. You know, he didn't care what it looked like. He read the facts and he, and he did what, you know, what a man would do, you know, he did what was right. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> it's war. I just kept saying, Hey, it's war. It's war. What do you expect him to do? Um, there was, and, and I, I wanted to get there. There was one, one of those guys on your team that turned on or turned on you and kept a plea deal. I forgot his name. I don't That's not even worth probably remembering, but and you need to mention it. Cause I could give two shits about his name. But when he did that, man, because you don't do that to each other. And why, I guess, why the, why did he cop a plea? Was he that scared that he was going to go to prison? And he just said, you know what? I'm going to make up shit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I forget his name, but there, it was, it was in the papers. Yeah. He's, he's giving up information on Nick and, and Raven 23 and saying that they did it. And it was, and that's, that was, that was one of the prosecution's big, big, big things against you. Did it feel a bit like betrayal when that was going on or were you just, did you just go into numb mode? Like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to turn my emotions off and so, whatever happens, happens. So what I would say about anyone that was against us, that was on our team, there was only um, three that were like dead set I, against us. I only know one. I only know of one that I heard of and I, won't, I ain't going to say his damn name. Yeah. So out of the 19, there was only three that had a problem, right? Okay. And, I love and I forgive every one of them, you know, and I, I want the best for all of them. I don't judge anybody for what they do in war. Cause like you said, it's war. <laughs> so, so I don't care if you're a coward hiding behind somebody or if you're, or if you're fighting back, right? Like I, I leave that stuff in the past. I love and I forgive all those guys, you know, yeah. That's you. You get, you're, you're a bigger man than me, brother. You, you, <laughs> you definitely are. But having having God in your corner, that's how that's what you know, he ahead. says. He just says we have to love those guys. We have to love them and we have to forgive them. So and yeah, I just about forgiving people and for forgiving your past and people in the past. And that's how I've let go a lot of my anger. That's how I let go. Dang near the majority of it is finding God again. But uh, yeah, but it, it's it's amazing Ian, that you're at this point in your life, in my opinion, and and you you got a good head on your shoulders. And are are you? I don't even know if you're married. Are you married? Or... I, have a, I got married when I got out of prison. Uh, she wrote me letters the whole time I was locked up. No way. And came and visited me, yeah. And uh, we got a little girl. No got shit. Her. That's awesome. 
that's freaking awesome man yeah it, it, and she she likes you you know even though you're yeah you know, we got the thinness on you i know you're a bigger dude got the tiny head big neck i'm giving you shit man you're you <laughs> you're awesome um but you know having you on maybe you know we're, we're going time we're going to talk about uh calvin but um you know moving on in the future father husband now what else is on the horizon outside of that i know a lot of, are you guys all writing different books or are you all writing one together kind of like we did where we all got together as a team and we said hey we're going to put it all because we just felt it was hey the team was there we got to tell it as a team but uh with that is because uh, i know y'all are doing projects now which you should be doing you should be people should know this uh, and if you talk about god a lot people should definitely know it um but what's the plan what's the plan with the team or are y'all going your separate ways it's raven two three productions right. so we all united you can check us out raven two three productions.com and it's basically just our merchandise we've got these shirts and um We've got cigars for sale and then the book will be on there eventually. The book's in progress and um, it's going to tell all kinds of things. Like well, a lot of the class, um, it, it doesn't need to be classified anymore. So a lot of that stuff will be at least a general watered down declassified version of it and a lot of it will be like the actual raw classified intelligence that proves that we were innocent yeah so, i mean i, I could easily go another hour talking about this and i would but chris is limited on time but i know that the reason um honestly the main reason you kept conveying me that you wanted to come on so i want to make sure we at least give this a yeah. little bit of time was that as we know there are other guys serving the same way that you did um time for things you know some of them probably justified, some of them not. But I know the guy that you're fighting on behalf of is Staff Sergeant Calvin Gibbs, uh, freecalvingibbs.com. Do you want to talk a little bit about his case and and why this is important to you guys? And and we got 15 minutes, brother, so you got time. Don't don't rush it. Let's get everything out that you need to say. So Calvin Gibbs, he was in the Maywan district. And anybody that's ever been to Afghanistan knows that that's a pro-Taliban region, right? So I just want to paint the scene of how he got to where he was. Um, a squad leader in an infantry line unit in the Maywan district steps on a landmine and dies when they're doing village stability operations, which you know village stability operations work very well in regions that support the United States. Yeah. In regions that do not support the United States, like the Maywan district, they don't work so well, right? You step on land, get blown up with bombs all the time, you get shot at all the time, right? So Gibbs was an import sergeant into this line infantry platoon, and he was the kind of guy that you would want as a squad leader, right? He was a hard charger, and he was a warrior. And basically, he is locked up for killing someone that shot at him and that's it i mean that's are, are you familiar what... with uh first lieutenant michael behenna because i feel like that's a very similar situation he was another guy who was pardoned yeah i heard of his situation as well but gibbs's situation you know they've got him charged with three murders and two out of the three murders he wasn't even at the scene when those individuals were killed and all of these individuals, you know, by that point, 
Um, we knew who the bad guys were. And so they all came back as members of the Taliban. And basically, if you're in the Maywan district yeah. and you're yeah. able to fight and you're a male, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be a member of the Taliban. Like, yeah. you don't have. So they, he's locked up. And the guys are Taliban that are dead. You know, he's been locked up since 2010. You know, and we're we've been fighting really hard to get legislation passed that's called the Warfighter Protection Act. And basically what it does is it grants amnesty to everyone who's in Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan and other places that we have fought the war on terror so that. Give them all amnesty, even the ones that lied and testified against Gibbs that are in prison, right? Give them all amnesty. Let them go home. Like the war's over. That's I'm for it. I'm for letting everybody out, even the ones that did do bad. Like I'm for it because it's like we've always done that. We did it in World War II. We did it in Vietnam. We've done it in every single war. When the war is over, let our guys go home. I mean, we doesn't this really wouldn't I mean I would say wouldn't that just set a bad precedent though when we are back in war that anything goes and I mean you can't have that. Well, I mean, I, I think that you got to ask yourself, are you a country that believes in judgment or you're a country that believes in mercy, you know, and we've released 5,000 members of the Taliban who we knew were participating actively against our troops and combat operations. And we, and we released them back to the battlefield. I mean, we, we gave the whole country back to the Taliban. So like, is, is that a good thing? You no, know, I'm, I mean, I'm saying that, that why would we keep our own guys locked up if we're going to let them? it's it's hypocritical is what we're yeah what, I, I, what I'm saying I mean I I get the double standard thing but I think the idea of just no one is a war criminal is a pretty dangerous precedent as well I mean that's why I was talking about the other guys who who were pardoned as well and I'll give you you know we could talk about all of them really but the one that was the craziest to me that's just the the most clear cut was Major Matt Goldstein in that and it's major, right? Is it major? I don't know if he was a captain or a major. But, but Goldstein basically did something that was considered a war crime and was completely, he was scot-free. He got away with it. He, he would have been totally fine. And then he went on Fox News and admitted to things That's that right. he did. He incriminated at that himself point, when after. You, yeah. When you incriminate yourself, <laughs> you have to be locked up. I mean... So that was one where I said this guy shouldn't have been pardoned. And that, that's my opinion. I, and, and, you know, Nick, I, I think war, if you're a good person, if you have virtue, war will magnify that. It's going to magnify that virtue you have. If you're a terrible, terrible person, war will magnify that as well. If you don't believe me, watch that combat obscure. You'll see how people don't have virtue. <laughs> or it's magnified. And I get what you're saying, bro. I do. I I but I, I, I don't think everybody is, thinks like you. And I don't think that everybody, I, I saw some bad shoots when I was over there too. And we handled it ourselves. We handled it in house. It's like, motherfucker, you didn't do that shit again. Or I'm going to beat the living shit out of you. And it worked the old school way of doing it. But that thing is, it's so big now. And there's so, we can't do the things to youngsters like we're used to, to get them to fall in line or else we get in trouble. So I, I, I don't know if we should, I, you know, and that's my opinion. I, if you, if you have not done, if you've fought in this war and you killed the enemy and you're getting reprimanded for it, now you're you, you, no, you shouldn't be in prison. If you kill somebody and discriminate and murder them, you're murdering. 
war or not. It's murder. That's my opinion. And God, now God's going to judge you regardless. So, but I, I, that's, I, and we're not, we don't need to argue. I, I mean, we can, if you want, I don't want to, we can, if you want to argue about it, I just, but I don't want to take it away from Calvin. Cause I don't think Calvin did murder anybody at all. And it's horseshit that he's, that he's in prison. I know he's in prison that long either. I had, I thought, no, I, I had no idea. So what do we do, man? What do we need to do to, to aside from to help get him out and is it too far gone or do we just keep fighting and people keep giving I, what, what can they do i again for guys like calvin when they've been in prison now for 14 years and you know there's so, no trump there's no trump in sight right now to let him to, out there might be go in to, a year go to freecalvingibbs.com and there's a sample letter on that website on how to write your congressman and your senator I know it sounds like it don't work, but it does. That's what I'm going to ask you. Does that shit work or did the senator just put it in a pile and it doesn't do anything? You get enough people upset about something, guess what happens in our country? It changes. Yeah, you're right there. I can't argue with you there, man. <laughs> we got to speak and we've got to tell people that Calvin Gibbs is innocent and he's serving a bogus life sentence you think about that and our soldiers you know our war fighters our men and women that go over there and they have to be, put themselves in harm's way they shouldn't have to choose between a casket or a prison cell you know you think people hesitate on the machine gun and then what happens they get blown up right or they're dead and then their squad's dead yeah yeah car drives right into them and so it's like but if they're wrong, they're scared they're going to go to prison. Like, we're already setting a bad example. Like you said, you catch somebody doing something out of line, you're like, hey, you're out of here. You're not a soldier no more. That's the worst you do to them, right? I'm you not can, saying... You can, you can do this. There's nothing, yeah. wrong, nothing <laughs> wrong with doing that. They call it wall-to-wall -wall counseling. That's what we call that's it. That's exactly. Just put them in the squad room, close the door, we'll get it settled. That's that's what That's what you do. But I mean, to lock Calvin Gibbs up for actually killing members of the Taliban. Yeah. Crazy. He got actively shot at. The prosecutors withheld that information that he got actively shot at. And there's only four guys in his platoon that are against him, right? How many people are in a platoon? If it was a normal platoon, you could have three squads of, of 10 to 15. So you can have a lot of guys depending on what size the platoon is, man. Not, not even counting the machine gun attachments. Well, let's just say he had 30 or 40 people, right? 40. You, yeah. Guys out of any platoon, I guarantee you, you could take three or four guys out of any platoon and they'd have something bad to say about you, right? No, of course. But what about the rest of them? You know, there were guys that were like, not only did Cal not do it, this is morally wrong that y'all are like pressuring him just to take a deal. Like they got threatened with prosecutions themselves and some of them got run plumb out of the army with like less than honorable discharges, you know, because they wouldn't cooperate with ongoing investigations. So it was like, it took me about five minutes of reading what, what is not classified to figure out that this guy was just an import squad leader doing the best he could with a mission that made no sense. Basically they're riding, giving money 
to people who are pro-Taliban and giving food to people who are pro-Taliban. And then they're getting blown up on the way out. So it's like, what were they even doing? You know, like, and how are you going to hold anybody accountable in that kind of conditions? You know, it's like, when you get shot at, it's over. All bets are off. Yeah, it's no, like, it, it is. And, and, and I'll tell you, I think, I know me personally, I know guys, a lot of guys I've been on, I've seen some bad shoots, but I've also seen a lot of guys just like with that machine gunner on your team for, I've like, man, should have shot more. Why didn't we? We should, and, and, and we were in the right to do it. So we've been there, especially contractors, we get a bad rap. We're, but we're the most non indiscriminate shooters on the planet. We make sure, and I even said it even that night in Libya, I said, I ain't shooting because I ain't, I ain't killing a kid. There's kids in those houses. And I wanted to light up that house because that's where they were running into in and out of like, oh, I got this 46. I'm going to tear it up. No, there's kids in there. I can't shoot it. We put ourselves at the, at in more danger by not shooting than we ever have by shooting, shooting too much aside from, you know, whoever president and vice president and offices. And it comes to make with all these stories we're talking about. It makes me realize that we must have the worst defendant attorneys on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> that the prosecutors keep winning these cases that have no merit and what are the what are the attorneys on the defendant sides doing are they doing even doing their damn jobs or are they part of the are they culpable are they part of it well they can't do their job if if you're a prosecutor and you hide evidence that helps the defendant if you hide exculpatory evidence so like no one knows that there's a saw gunner that saw the same thing Calvin Gibbs saw, that there was a guy shooting at him and the saw gunner left cover because he couldn't see where the dude was. He got behind the same cover Gibbs was and he shot the guy too. So it was like they were taking fire and he, the saw gunner did his job. He ran yeah. over and he, and he and he helped Gibbs shoot the guy. But no one knows that. Mm. That never yeah. oh. They threatened that man with prosecution if he didn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah. yeah. Pass, I, pass, well, I was going to say, you way. definitely convinced me that that people need to advocate for Calvin Gibbs. I'm going to be honest. I'm not on the side of the amnesty bill that you're, you know, uh, pushing. I'm sure there's other people in the audience who are going to agree with you. And I mean, that's the great thing, man. People are going to agree. People are going to disagree. I love the fact that when we have people on, there's no agenda you know, myself or Chris are pushing. That's why we just have on people who have been there and done that, which you certainly have. Um, so yeah, the website that you wanted to push out there is freecalvingibbs.com. You could have more information there. Raven23productions.com. And then uh, you're not on any social media yourself, right? Just that? Just that. Cool, cool. And, and you know, when the book comes out, and I, I yeah, we'll to, have you back, man, because I feel like we just scratched De the surface. Definitely. And, and I'm telling you what, just stick together, brother, and stick to your guns. as Just from experience on books that may put the government in a bad light, stick to your guns, man, because they're going to push and they're going to they're gonna say, oh, do we, you can't say this, you can't, nope, to hell with you, this is what we're doing. And don't, don't let them push you around. I mean, if it's to change a, a, a little bit of a name of a local or something, okay, screw it. We'll change the name of a local, but we ain't changing anything else. And, and you guys doing it together gives you a hell of a lot of credibility than trying to do it individually. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing it together. God is good. I couldn't ask yeah. for a group of brothers, you know, they are steadfast.
Exactly. Yeah, e even even Rob, even Sletton, man, is he, he's he's all right. You know? yeah, <laughs> no, he's he's good. He's a good person, bro. He's he's good. You guys are all all did did uh, did what you needed to do, and um appreciate you talking about your faith too. And but next time you come on the show, stop saying this sir shit. All right, I'm, I'm not that old, man. I'm, I'm only fifty. I'm, I'm probably actually we're, you and I are probably right around the same age, right? How old are you, bro? Forty. Yeah, so, forty. All right, so it's not. I'm I'm thirty seven. Yeah, so, so, so not that not that crap just about off. the same age. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, once again, guys, uh. You know, check out raven23productions.com. We'll do a part two when the book comes out. Hopefully get some of the other guys on because I know uh, Paul Slough, for example, uh, he wanted to come on. He just said he couldn't at the moment. So um, at some point, hopefully we'll have him back oh, on. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did you. I say Rob? I meant Paul. I'm sorry. Paul's the ugly oh, guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Why, but, did I, why did I say Rob? I'm thinking of something else. Oh, but anyway, I was yeah. going to say uh, next week, guys, we have, I'm really psyched for this. We have Edsel Dope coming back for a second time. The first time we had Edsel Dope on um, was one of the biggest shows that we've done. Whenever we have rock shows like these do really well because Blabbermouth will pick it up. And uh, and I know. wasn't on, so that helps. It helps when I'm not on. The shows are so, yeah. So, no, so but it, Nick, it's, so this it's show's just not going to do shit. interesting thing that those that, that the rock shows get picked up by a ton of websites. It's just the way that it works. Doesn't it, it doesn't it work metal. that the Rob, the, the, the Rob, here I say Rob again, that the rock shows actually help each other out? But the two A community, when it comes to media and social media, they don't do shit for each I, other. I Isn't actually it awesome? spoke about this with Jack Murphy at the team at the team house party because it is interesting that well, yeah, that stuff doesn't get picked up. I don't know why, but the rock stuff does. So Edsel Dopey will be back on, and possibly Tony Campos of Static X, legendary bass player, also plays in Fear Factory. The man has done it all. So I'm really psyched for that. And then the last thing I wanted to say to you guys, um. Of course, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Like the show, subscribe. All that stuff helps. But we've been talking about upping the game of the show in terms of quality because I know you guys loved last week that we were able to do an in-studio interview. And I love when we're able to do those. You know, if the budget allows, when we get to that point, that's the great thing about living in, you know, near New York City for me is that everyone comes through here, whether it's rock artists doing a tour or, you know, people doing Fox news. They're in that area. So I love to do in studio, but in the meantime, the reason we're on zoom, even though zoom kind of sucks, quite honestly, was because we were using Squadcast for a while, which does shoot in high res. And Chris and I are both on high res cameras, but zoom basically lowers the quality of everything. And when we did an interview with John keys a while back, zoom did not capture his video and I mean, or uh, Squadcast, Squadcast did not capture yeah. his video. So at the time I was like, we can't deal with this. I've been speaking to people about Riverside and hopefully we're going to switch over to Riverside because I've been hearing great things, uh, including from John rain waters who we've had on the podcast. Uh, he has had no issues, any issues he's had there, the workout. So, uh, to make a long story short, we're going to be upping the quality one way or the other. Um, but it's on you guys support our sponsors, support the show, subscribe, spread the word. That's what keeps us going. And well, amen. Then, since you mentioned Static X, I had a lighthearted question for Nick here. You guys, what are you listening to before you head out, head out of the green zone, dude? And it better not be some newfangled. You guys better be listening to some headbanging stuff like we're used to, or I'm going to think a hell of a lot less of you. Okay. So what were you listening to to get ready to go out the gate? Well, yeah, I don't think we were listening to anything. What the... is, come on. Oh, man. That could okay. be intense too, though, right? You know? 
time January 23rd happened, we were all so um, numb. Well, not not you're get you're going you're you're QRF you're punching out the gate. I get you, but when you got time, but when you got time to to get prepped up, you you don't have music playing anymore like we used to. When not not when you're QRFing, I'm saying when you got time to prep and you're you're just getting ready to get out the gate for a normal day. All that hard, like y'all are talking about Static X and all the. Uh, but not and all which by the way is all guests we've had on the show and and, and the first time we had edsel dope on i got to speak to him about the fact that dope their songs like die motherfucker die were played at gitmo during interrogations and unlike some artists edsel dope was like i love it man he was like i'm all for it if it helped these guys do their job god bless you know so it, it was cool interviewing him about that so i'm psyched to have him on for a second time but that's that's cool to hear man thanks again nick and and like i said we will do this again when the book comes out all right god bless you guys lord willing hey. and thank you so much hey god thanks, bless man. you too bro Appreciate you, it. you stay safe man just, just keep keep spreading the word okay you're doing good things man that is good you have a good one That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit.